Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Welcome back to this fourth installment of Diary of a Creative from Oz to NZ, celebrating individuals and their love of the arts and the careers they're carving out of this love and anything in between. Last episode, I virtually traversed the trans-Tasman bubble into Middle Earth and chatted with the paranormally awesome Karen O'Leary, better known as Officer O'Leary of the New Zealand television series, Wellington Paranormal. This week, we rack focus like the newly upgraded cinematic mode in a fruit named Camera Phone between my guest and their passion for storytelling, which led to the creation of an Australian first in film festivals locally and internationally. With over 18 years of professional stage and screen experience, ranging from Australian television series to film, web series, and live theatre in LA and Australia. In addition to debuting as a theatre director in 2015 with Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet for the Sydney Classic Theatre Company. And in that same year, they also debuted their festival prowess as one half of the creative powerhouse and co-founder of the worldwide film festival, SF3 Smartphone Flickfest. Thank you for joining me and welcome, Angela Blake. Wow, what an introduction. Thanks, Jose. My pleasure. Look, before we push on, let me get some housekeeping out of the way. If you enjoyed our last episode as much as Karen O'Leary enjoys bringing the fun and funner by making and playing music for kids that adults love too, then strum your keyboards to the tune of Diary of a Crowd if one for Twitter or Diary of a Crowd funded film on Facebook. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and reshare these episodes so the momentum for this podcast and Heat's film Christmas continues throughout the production hiatus. Angela, thank you again for the chat tonight and we will talk all things Um, and updates pertaining to SF3 Festival Season 21. But I was hoping if we could rewind the calendar for a moment to 1999, to the time where Angela Blake was completing a certificate in musical theatre at the Brent Street School of Performing Arts. Yeah, it wasn't that a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, what I'm curious is because, you know, we've all come a long way in our journeys. And do you ever look back at your younger student self of 99 and actually say, look, we've come so far and we've made it? Um, Definitely that we've come so far. Um, You know, I'd like to look back at that little Angela and, um, you know, just tell her, tell her some things and and not to worry. And, and, you know, I I started off as a professional dancer and that's how I spent a lot of my, my career. And, you know, I started dancing when I was four and it's all I, I knew that I was just going to be a performer. It's all I ever wanted. On a side note, I mean, my, I went to a very strict Christian girls high school um, and they even sent me to a, um, a hypnotist, if you can believe it, wow. because they thought I was too obsessed with the arts and with dancing and that I needed to be hypnotized to focus back on my studies again. Um, and my mum took me, like, we just thought, you know, we'll give everything a try once. And, and we were like, okay, this is ridiculous. Uh, but um, I w- I've always been obsessed and knew that I wanted to work in this industry. But I wish, you know, looking back at that um, 1999 Angela, I'd like to just offer her, you know, tell her to relax a little and, and you know, have confidence and you know, I never thought I would start my own film festival all these years later. So you just never know where your career is going to take you, really, do you? Not at all. I look, I think it's beautiful. And I think they're words that can also touch and inspire any aspiring creative starting on their journey. Um, look, I understand you eventually went back to complete a bachelor's degree in communications and journalism. Um, was that a professional requirement or more a personal accomplishment? Yeah, that was um, definitely personal. So I, I I spent kind of about eight or nine years of my dance career, um, dance singing, musical theatre career, um, touring. And I was doing a lot of huge stage shows at the time for children, a lot of huge arena spectaculars um, around the Middle East and Asia and all across Australia and uh and cruise ships I performed on and so I was doing all this touring work all the time and I just lived to travel it's all I've ever wanted to do is travel and perform and and I was doing it it was wonderful and I I know it can sound a bit silly but eight or nine years of it I started to just get a little bit bored my my brain got a little bit bored and I was loving what I was doing but I just felt like I needed a little bit of extra stimulation um and I'd always loved writing and, and since I was a little girl I wrote 
I have books and books of poetry. I'm actually looking at them right now. I still got them here in my room. And I thought, you know, I'll I'll, um, I'll go through Open Uni, uh, which I did. So while I was on the road touring, I did my undergrad degree um, through Open Universities. And I have to say there were some nights on tour when all my cast members would be like going out to party in some cool city and I'd be like, uh... I have an assignment due tomorrow. like, And, and so I kind of re- did regret it sometimes, but no, it, it was really wonderful. And um, yeah, I'm really glad I, I did it. I, I just always need mental stimulation, I think. And, and um, yeah, so that's why I went and, and did that. And doing it through Open Uni was perfect. I did part of my high school through correspondence because I started working professionally at 16. And so I was used to um, distance education. So that it, it was fine for me. That's spectacular. Um, can we jump to 2005? Because I wanted to touch on you mentioning performing for Princess Cruise Lines. I'm really curious. Can you share a bit of time during your voyage days and what that experience was like? Oh, God, it was the best. It was. Oh, I was young. I was a hot dancer and I was single getting paid lots of money on a cruise ship, doing what I love doing, cruising exotic destinations with everything paid for. Alcohol in the crew bar was a dollar a drink. Um, If you had to buy it yourself, do you know what I mean? Like it just, you think of paradise and, and that's what working on this ship was. It was, I just had the best time. The shows were amazing that I was performing in. I was performing in the most amazing tributes or my favorite musicals or my favorite choreography and cruising and seeing the most amazing countries and meeting people from all around the world. I had such a great time Um, for that particular time of my life. It it was really, really great. And, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time from French Canada and another one from England, you know, it was, you know, it's, it was fun. It was the, it was at that time, (laughs) of course. And it was, it sounds like it was a highlight and, you know, and it's, it's the age to enjoy that and live because that's what life is for. Right. That's right. And to get paid to do that, you know, how, how lucky. And I always knew how lucky I was. It was, yeah, it was great. And then if I can, we'll go to 2009. You volunteered for the Starlight Children's Foundation as a Captain Starlight. Was that for a Westmead Children's Hospital? Yeah, it was actually a paid gig. So it was... Um, oh, wow, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's fine. I was uh, hired as the Captain Starlight and um, I mainly worked out at Westmead Children's Hospital. And the reason I applied for that job was I um, loved my performing, but I felt a need to do something that wasn't for myself. Like performing is wonderful but it is kind of about you when you're performing and, you know, it's about the audience. It's about giving, but I was just getting so much from it. And I, I kind of wanted to use my art in a, in a different way. So when I saw this um, audition for the Starlight Children's Foundation, I just was so happy. And I went and I, I worked at Westmead Children's Hospital for two years. I also did some of their outback New South Wales tours to mm-hmm. Outback Hospitals, but mainly Westmead Children's. And so I worked every day. I, I was doing five or six days a week um, for two years, putting on little shows and um, entertaining sick children in hospital, sick and dying children and their siblings. You know, I have never been so moved and so touched. And every day from, it was about an hour drive home from hospital for me. And I would just cry and cry because of the things I was seeing. And, um, you know, I, I'd be asked, I'd be called to the Burns Ward while kids were having their um, bandages changed mm. and I'd want a show for them. And so, you know, you're seeing all that stuff and repressing it while you're putting on a show. And and then, yeah, I, I had a soundtrack that I would put on on my way home, which was kind of my um, my way of dealing with what I'd seen that day. But I had also, I was just so touched by the pure love and dedication that I saw in the families and the parents to their children and the joy, you know, in, in little kids, no matter what they were going through. It was um, still to this day, one of um, the best jobs I've ever done. That's beautiful. And it speaks to your passion for entertainment as a mechanism to bring joy, as well as championing opportunities for kids, especially in this instance, to bring a smile and a giggle to, you know, the faces of some seriously ill kids during these really challenging moments. And like you mentioned, as a distraction from treatments that can be extremely painful. Look, you touched on 
obviously some very challenging aspects of it. Do you recall what may have been perhaps the most rewarding moment or just it's literally about seeing the smile on their faces? (laughs) You know, it's definitely, um, you know, you love all the children, but two years I was there and so there's children that lived in the hospital for that two years who I would see like every day. I, I It's the privilege of being allowed to be with these families and these children being trusted to be with them in these, you know, most awful, vulnerable, raw times of their life and being kind of invited into that and, and a part of that. And I think that I definitely take that away with me. You know, it's rare to... When when you get to live life and have those moments, it, it really is something out of the ordinary to be a part of that in other people's lives. Um, and I still remember pr- probably one of the first boys I ever got close to was a little boy called Michael, and he used to ride around the hospital and call me his. I was his girlfriend, <laughs> and he was only four, I think, and he rode around the hospital on a little um scooter that his parents bought him. I was his girlfriend and I, every day I'd have nurses come and they'd be like, we've got to find this. I was called the curly head captain because um, we're all Captain Starlight. So the, I was the curly head one because I had very, very curly hair at the time. And they'd all come and be like, we need to see who Michael's girlfriend is. You know, he just went around and told everyone and he even bought me a pair of gold earrings. And oh, I, just, I still lovely. have them. And so little moments like that, you know, and there was another boy um, from the cancer ward, Jordan, and he was obsessed with cool runnings and uh, there was a rule in the hospital you we put on movies for the kids um but you could only watch one movie each week you couldn't couldn't repeat it so every week I'm not joking for two years I watched cool runnings and still that movie just brings me so much joy so it's kind of little moments you know like that that make you smile that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that I absolutely loved hearing it um, and I just want to mention the Starlight Foundation has been ensuring the joy and fun are critical components in the caretaking process for Australian kids facing pain, fear, and the stress of serious illness since 1988. If you'd like to donate or volunteer, then you can check out all the necessary details at www.starlight.org.au or contact them directly on 1300 727 827. I just love what you were doing, and I thought it's perfect to remind people that it's such an amazing service that's still being offered. So look, before we get into the main reason for our discussion tonight, I'd like to talk New York Film Academy. Yeah. In 2010, you ended up um, in LA after being offered scholarship by the New York Film Academy into their one-year acting for film program. It's quite an accomplishment. So congratulations for that. Do you recall what the audition process was like um, in Sydney for that? I do. I, I, it was at a hotel on Crown Street. I can't remember the name of the hotel. There's a little hotel on Crown Street in Sydney and um, in Surrey Hills. And I went along, you know, to the boardroom or whatever, and there were hundreds of actors. And um, I think I had to do two different monologues and I I, I was redirected. Um, That's all I can remember. I don't know if there was a callback or anything else. Terrible. I can't even remember. Um, But then I went away and I didn't think about it. And I actually got a six-month tour in Dora the Explorer, the kids' show. Um, So we were um, driving around Australia for six months performing. And and it was while I was on the road quite early on, um, I got the scholarship and I actually turned it down. My fiancé at the time, who's now my husband, he, he, oh, no, he wasn't even my fiancé then. Was he? Oh, he proposed to me somewhere on that tour. He flew and met me um, and proposed. But um, he he said, you know, Angela, you've been traveling for eight or nine years and we, we're not in the same city all that much. So why don't you take the scholarship and I'll move with you? And I and he said, you've been saying that you want to change and you want something different and, and you know, and it's very easy to say no to things, isn't it? Like, especially performers, we want all these things and then you get them and it can be a bit scary and you can say no to them. And and that was my initial reaction. So I'm really glad that he was like, no, let's go. And then I did. And I I had never planned to move to LA. It was never kind of my dream. Um, you know, I'd always thought about London coming from the theatre world, but um. LA, what a what a great town. It was just, I, I had a really wonderful two years. I lived there and I loved, you know, every second of it. It was it was a really cool place to be. It's so creative. Um, 
New York Film Academy, NIFA LA, where I was on campus for a year. I was very fortunate to just have some of the most amazing teachers, many of whom are on my SF3 judging panel Mm. to this day and still mentor me um, from all this distance. And uh, yeah, I got, I think like any place, so much of it depends on who you're in class with and who your teachers are at the time. And I really feel like um, I, I hit the jackpot with, with my classmates and amazing teachers. Um, and not to mention the uh, proposal. <laughs> <laughs> and the proposal, that's right. I mean, that, that was going to, yeah. And <laughs> look, I mentioned that, and just so that anyone listening, if you hear some uh, tinkling in the background, I can actually hear it, and there's no problem. It's <laughs> actually Angela's husband on the piano. Um, and I think it's it's telling him it sounds amazing, <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> I told him I was doing a podcast, so he goes and decides to no. play the piano. <laughs> no, no. Look, during your time in LA, you refined further your acting, you know, honed those skills, and you stepped into a lot of short productions and theatre roles, um, aside from it being LA. I wanted to know if you felt that their method and approach to the art of acting and storytelling differed from your experiences with the teachings of the craft here in Australia at that time? Yeah, good question. Um, that For me, definitely the biggest difference was that American, you can do it. You can do anything. You're great. If you put your mind to it, you can win that Oscar. Mm. And, you know, us Australians are a little bit, oh, yeah, it's a bit hard. Oh, you know, like, nah, you can't do it. Tall poppy, you know. So it, for me, it was like I really, I I can be quite shy and, and lack confidence, or I, I could when I was younger and, um, for me, it was really quite exhilarating to be in a country where everyone believed in you. And um, I think Australia is a lot more like that now. Um, but when when I was in LA, 2010, I moved to LA. And um, yeah, it, I was just struck by how supportive everyone was and so encouraging. And I have to say, it can go the other way. And it, mm. they can encourage people that probably need a little less encouragement and a little more constructive feedback mm-hmm. um so i think you know while it's really great it does have its downside but i i i just um i really was boosted my confidence was boosted and i was kind of i, I maybe being in another city as well allows you to kind of step out of your shell and, and reinvent yourself a little bit which i feel that i i did um i also turned 30 there and i think there's something just about growing up. So it all kind of just happened to be when I was in LA and it was really great. Um, plus there was, I had a teacher, Anthony Montez, who's on my um, my SF3 panel and he yes. he is one of the most inspiring teachers I've ever had. And he really took me aside and took me under his wing and he said, Angela, I, I think that you will be a great director. And he knew that I wrote and he's, he really encouraged me to write. And in class, he would entrust me with some of the other actors and their scenes and monologues, and he would get me to direct them um, and give me some of that responsibility. And that, I mean, that set me on a completely different path. I had never directed before. Um, I'd been in LA and suddenly I was doing that and um, writing plays and getting them, put, putting them on, you know. Yeah, so I, I, living in LA was, I was writing plays, I was directing and and that teacher, whether it was the teaching in America at the time, I think it was, but it was also a lot to do with my teachers and Anthony, you know, really believing in me and telling me I could do all these things I'd never thought of doing before. It's very encouraging when you have that support and guidance, as you've mentioned. And to this day, obviously, he's one of your mentors. Um, is he somebody or if there are any others from those LA days that you still keep in touch with, but whose wisdom and guidance um, influence your passion for storytelling beyond the stage and screen? Definitely, Anthony. Anthony, just as a human being, you know, I'm really into nice humans. You know, most of us are, but I, I really 
need everyone needs nice humans in their life so Anthony is not only an amazing teacher it's just a lovely human being and I also was very lucky to study with Roz Gentle at NIFA and Roz um, she's a NIDA grad Australian and she was in Prisoner uh, many other TV shows she was Picnic at Hanging Rock she flew home and did that one um, but does live in LA full-time and she was one of my main teachers also on my judging panel and um, a really dear friend and mentor as well. And there were so many others along the way, but definitely Ros and Anthony are two that have really stuck with me. There was another amazing playwright and director I worked with. I was in a theatre company. There was one thing in LA that I really loved what they did when I was there. I don't know if they still do it, but you, you could audition for theatre companies and you could get in and they would have, I was, so I got into one called Neo Ensemble and I was the resident actor and they also had resident writers and resident directors right. and together you would all put on plays would be produced. And I really loved that being part of the ensemble. And it, it's not really something that happens here. I think Sydney Theatre Company, you know, did it for a couple of years and, but there was some, it's something very nurturing about being part of an ensemble and being part of a company. Um, and I worked with an amazing playwright called Mark Harvey Levine, whose play I just directed and acted in Short and Sweet Theatre Festival here in Sydney this year. And he, if anyone is looking for the best short plays in the whole world, Mark Harvey Levine is your man. He's just, I think, one of hands down one of the top playwrights. And I was so lucky to know him. I was like, wow. Um, and Joe Ockman, who was a director in the company and, and also a great mentor and, and now judge on my festival too. You know, you got to pull the favours, don't you? Um, but just wonderful people, great people who are so great. They're still, you know, still in your life all these years later and inspiring you. Look, and speaking of great and inspiring people, if we can jump to 2013 and discuss how did you and Ali Crew, who's the other founding member and co-director, how did your paths come to cross? Yeah, do you know, it was actually in the Short and Sweet Theatre Festival in Sydney. I had just moved home from LA at uh, the end of 2012 and I was, you know, I, I was coming home with all my American enthusiasm, but I'd been working a lot um, in America, a lot of independent theatre um, writing a lot, directing a lot. And so I had all this energy and, and I, I was coming back and I primarily worked in Australia as a singer and a dancer. And so I was coming back now as an actor and a director and a writer. And so, you know, I just really, I was hungry to work and make connections. And so I um, applied to the Short and Sweet Theatre Festival to be a director. They sent me all the plays. There was one play that just was phenomenal. It was called Wing on a Stick by Melbourne writer called Adele Shelley. Yes. And so I jumped on that and um, went to the auditions, the open auditions they hold. And Ali was one of the actors who auditioned for my play. And she did a brilliant audition, so I cast her. That's how we met. And so we started rehearsals and um, we ended up winning all the rounds that we were in for Sean Sweet. We made it all the way through to the gala finals. And so that was about three, three and a half months of doing rounds in the festival and shows. And we started just watching how the, the festival was operating and chatting and kind of paying a lot of attention to what was happening behind the scenes. And we just thought, you know, Short and Sweet is really an amazing concept in that it gives anyone who wants to be in the theatre a chance to be in the theatre, no matter if you're a professional trying a new work or um, a professional like me who wanted to just kind of to work um, and or maybe you're an amateur, you're an absolute beginner and you want to try it out. So, I mean, there's such a broad range and we loved that concept. Um, and we thought, you know, there's nothing like it for filmmakers. And I said, oh, Ali, in LA, um, people were just making films on phones. I said, people, just as I was leaving, and I actually was shooting a documentary for one of my uni courses in LA, and I had my DSLR camera. I, I took a couple months to set up this interview. I did a little short documentary on homeless war veterans because um, there were a lot that lived around where I well all over LA really uh, yes. but a lot where I was living and I was horrified that these people could go to war and then come home from war and be homeless I just could not quite believe that anyway I decided to make a documentary took my DSLR camera after months of setting up interviews it overheated oh, and no. I had just bought my first iPhone like two days before and I actually had to shoot the majority of it on my iPhone and, and so I had 
this kind of thing in my head and I said, you know, iPhone film or smartphone filmmaking is a thing that's just starting. It wasn't really in Australia yet. And so we we thought let's combine these ideas and and do something. And that's where Ali and I met and hence where SF3 was born as well. Look, and out of necessity, you then were able to, yeah. you know, basically steer down the path of smartphone filmmaking for your um, venture. And as you're sensing, we're now going to sail into the festival. It's in its seventh season, bigger, better, and uncut. And I'm not talking about the South Park movie. I'm talking about <laughs> SF3 <laughs> Flickfest. <laughs> it is 2021. <laughs> I thought before we delve into SF3, I'd like you to reflect on its inception and the journey walked to this point um, with this quote from mm. Albert Einstein, failure is success in progress. And I just wanted to know, that's great. what's a standout moment that at first glance you may have classified a failure? but upon later reflection allowed for perhaps the greatest growth personally and professionally for SF3? God, what a question. Um, do you know, it's so when you, you know, you know, when you run your own business and you're in the film industry and you're hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, you sometimes get very little room for reflection, don't you? Um, let me reflect and, and think. Um, and look, I do apologize. I put you on the spot. Um, I just thought it'd be an interesting no, question for everyone. Oh, it's a great question. Um, do you know that, well, this was an early on, I don't think it was, well, it would have been a fail if Ali hadn't pulled me up on it. We spent two years planning SF3 and researching. Yeah. I was performing and directing um, and Ali has a job, uh, she's a producer and journalist. So we both had our full-time gigs um, and I work at the Wayside Chapel in King's Cross and I was doing that. And um, so it's not like we just worked full-time for two years, but we, we we did have two years of planning and I'm a Virgo perfectionist <laughs> and I, I didn't want to launch until we were perfect until everything was set up and so two years in and Ali got fed up with me and she said Angela we just have to launch we'll make mistakes and we learn and we fix them but we have to launch I said no we have to be perfect and we had a bit of you know a little argument about this and and eventually she won obviously and we launched and I'm so glad we did we should we could have launched a year earlier do you know so I think that in hindsight I maybe I you know obviously probably I was acting out of fear you know it's scary to launch something out into the world as well so um I, maybe perfectionism is also fear in action a little bit and um yeah so that that could have been a fail um and we could have launched earlier but I'm really glad we did so I would say to anyone that's got an idea like do it but actually do it, you know, don't just start it, actually launch it and put it out to the world. Uh, and it is very vulnerable putting something out to the world. Um, but we did. Um, and then along, you know, every year, still we're seven years in and every year we make mistakes. Um, you know, it might not look like we do to everyone else. <laughs> no. Um, like even today I sent, you know, an email to a few filmmakers. We're just starting to let people know. And I didn't, dot all my I's and cross my T's and I, I sent a mistake email and still seven years in and you know I was very disappointed in myself that that I did that you know you just want everything to be perfect and and to uphold your image and so still there's still things but I, I think the the when you make those mistakes you can't you got to move on right and you got to keep going and I yeah I I always think that I was talking to we have some big ambassadors now in my festival and earlier in the year I was talking to one of them and and he was introducing me to some other really huge people and I I got a little eager and he pulled me up and and, and so that was a mistake to kind of just learn how to speak to some you know super super high up people and I got pulled up and and so I had to apologize I apologize and owned my mistake and I wouldn't have been able to do that five ten years ago you know you would try to defend yourself and hide it and oh no no, no. but I just uh, you know I was honest and said yeah thank you for pulling me up um uh, I'm sorry and I think that's been a big learning curve as my festival grows just also yeah learning how to talk to different people and even within that world every single person's different but yeah 
I, I, I've learned to own my mistakes and that's something this year I've been learning. Look, I think you answered that beautifully. And thank you so much for being so candid <laughs> with your response. I do appreciate that. Um, I'm a big believer of trusting in the process and letting the results come later. Um, look, and speaking of results, there's 40,000 reasons to get excited about this year's SF3 Gala event. It's come such a long way from 2015, where the first prize was $1,000 made possible by friends and family. Yeah, actually, do you know that $1,000 was Ali and I's personal money? <laughs> yes, it doesn't that surprise was that me. We gave 500 each, we did. That's brilliant. You're um, welcome, winners. Spend my money. <laughs> Look, there are 32 awards for this season. Um, mm. I was just wondering, because I know I've been looking on the website and it's not announced yet, and perhaps you're not able to um, elaborate, but can you share what the top prizes would be in each of the categories? I think there's four or five categories. Yeah. Um, the last couple of years, we haven't actually put the exact prizes up online and we do get asked why. We have over 50,000 now in prizes, which is amazing. Um, but due to COVID, two reasons due to covid companies are they they're not quite sure how much they can give at the end of the year Understand. and the other reason is some of our companies they're all working in high tech and new innovative tech um yes. so they like one company dream grip have the most amazing cages lights like it's a full filmmaker kit but they don't now that we've even pushed till February, we've pushed the festival. So they'll have a new range out. So that's, we don't announce everything because things are changing rapidly and, and new stuff is being made. But there is over $50,000 in prizes. These include, so we have a, this year we have a SF3 First Nations prize, yes. which is supported by Dolby. It's our first year. That prize is worth $7,000. It's amazing. Wow. The, the, the winner will receive a new phone or tablet, their choice, and $5,000 worth of mentoring from three of our Indigenous ambassadors who are Stan Grant, Wayne Blair, and um, John Bell. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a SF3 Luma Touch finished on mobile because um, uh, you in my festival you can shoot a film but you can edit it on anything, but this one yes. particular award you shoot and edit on a mobile device. So that's a phone or a tablet. Um, they win a brand new Apple iPad donated by Luma, which is an amazing editor, um, plus all our other prizes. Um, the best film is obviously our number one prize. And so they will win lenses from Struman Lenses, which is a Melbourne company. They'll win microphones from Rode. I think mm -hmm. this year is a whole beautiful vlogger pack that they get from Rode. They'll win lots of different apps, we have classes. Afters is one of our big sponsors this year. They'll win classes from Afters. God, I'm trying to think. Memberships from Afters. So, oh, there's so much, lots of different mentorships for different prizes. There's just so much stuff. I always get boxes and boxes delivered. It's, I want to keep it all. It's so good. <laughs> um, just so, such great stuff. You know, the number one thing is um, we get to, um, I think, not just at SF3, we're part of an amazing community, the smartphone yes. filmmaking world. I, there's this real sense of community in it. I think because mm. we are all kind of in it together and it's emerging and it's innovative and it's a bit cool, I guess, kind of in a nerdy way, maybe it's a bit cool, but we're all kind of, I think there's a feeling of, you know, a new frontier and we're all in it together. And so there's this wonderful, once you make a film and, and you get into the festival or other festivals, you get to be a part of this really cool community. And I think uh, for me anyway, I love that. That's probably my number one. And, and um, you know, you see all the filmmakers online just, talking and sharing it's a really wonderful network to be involved in look i think we're all um big nerds at heart i'm a huge nerd at heart so <laughs> i can appreciate that look i understand that due to lockdown the gala was 27th of november sorry which you mentioned and it's been pushed back to the end of february obviously dates we to have, be confirmed um oh we what, have them now they're the 26th and 27th of february brilliant um will that still take place at uh, palace of all cinema in paddington yeah, our gala finals is at the Palace Chevelle Cinema. Um, that is presented with afters. We're doing that together. And then on Sunday the 27th, that is at um, the Actors Centre Australia in partnership with them. And we will be doing SF3 Kids, our SF3 mini and feature film screening and um, some masterclasses and panels all there. 
Now, I was seeing on the Facebook uh, page that there have been over 300 entries and 20 feature films, which yeah. is just mind-blowing. How many countries yeah. submitted um, a smartphone film this year? Yeah, it's great. Do you know, I haven't. I haven't actually counted the countries yet. I haven't done all the statistics. We generally get every year about a, around the 50 different countries mark. Wow. This year, for the first year, it might be a bit less this year because we have had the most Australian entries we've ever had. In our, in our very first year, we had 10% Australian entries and 90% international. We are an international festival with an Aussie flavour, we like to say. Mm-hmm. But we... Ali and I are super, super passionate about encouraging Australian film and Australian filmmakers. We're huge lovers of Australian cinema. And, and we um, we wanted to rectify it. We, we thought 10% from Australia and it was like even less from Sydney and we weren't very happy about that. So we spent a lot of time, sorry, we spent a lot of uh, strategic planning on how to capture more Australians. Now we are sitting at around, I don't know, 70%, 80% Australian, probably 20% international, which we just didn't expect it would jump that much. Um, probably a large part of it is due to our education arm of our festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do do a lot of um, talks and advertising and really kind of partnering with big institutions like Afters and NIDA and Actors in Australia. Yeah, just getting all these Australian filmmakers making films and we have an award that's called the Hashtag Filmbreaker Award, right. which is kind of a mentored by Jason Van Genderen, who's an amazing Australian smartphone filmmaker and now YouTube yes. sensation. And also, and, sorry uh, if I can add, he's been a longtime collaborator as well with um, SF3. He, since day one, yes. he has been with us. And, you know, we actually, as a side, we saw him when we started researching smartphone filmmaking in Australia and there was, you know, no one doing it. Jason Van Janteren kept popping up and he's up on the central coast. And and so we got his phone number or his email, I can't remember. And just out of the blue, we were like, hey, this is (laughs) Ali and Angela and we're going to start a film festival and you're this amazing smartphone filmmaker. Will you be involved? And it was like, yeah, I'll be your major sponsor. And, and right from day one and an ambassador and a judge. And he's just amazing. And he, if you see his films all shot on mm. phones, like amazing. And he's got a, if anyone listening, he's got a YouTube channel, Omer's Apple Source. And he went viral last year in lockdown with videos of his mum who's suffering from um, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's dementia. Mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. And um, he's now in post for a feature film um, all about that. And so look out for that. It'll be incredible. Um, but anyway, he he uh, has sponsored our hashtag film breaker movement, which is for first time filmmakers. And that's been a huge thing for us is, you know, we've been wary of um, starting grassroots and then very quickly we've grown much quicker than we anticipated and we never thought we'd be where we are now so quickly. And, and we're very focused on, while we want all these amazing professional films and filmmakers making all these films, I mean, who doesn't? It's amazing. But we very much want to remember our grassroots and mm-hmm. and still encourage first-time filmmakers and amateurs to make films for us because SF3 is literally for everybody. And so we have a special award for a first-time filmmaker. Uh, and this year, I don't know if it was lockdown or what it was, but a crazy proportion of first-time filmmakers, uh, which has been really lovely to see and a lot from Sydney. So that's, yeah, definitely something we're very, very passionate about. And, yeah, we'll be making the the announcements November 1 of who the finalists are. But okay. we did have um, two Australian um, filmmakers enter feature films. Um, which is very, very exciting, a Sydney filmmaker and a Melbourne filmmaker. The others were all international, um, but so exciting to see two Australian feature films entered this year. And um, between you and I, as a, you'll be the first I can tell, we will screen both the Australian films because they're amazing. Both Brilliant. of them are amazing. Thank you so much. Look, I and you've answered my next question because I was obviously going to see if finalists have been chosen and you can't, you know, you can't extend that any further, but it is very exciting. And look, it's obviously not made any easier with the amount of entries and the quality that are coming through to to decide. But is there a particular film in this year's lineup that you're excited to share with the audience and judges? Yeah, 
definitely, you know, every year. So Ali and I are, we're on this pre-selection panel. Um, so with a few others, but we watch every single film yes. that comes in. For me, I like to watch every single film at least three times. Uh, our shorts are up to 20 minutes. So it's quite time consuming, mm. but it is quite amazing how different moods affect how you judge. And I learned that very early on that, you know, one night in the first year, I think I, I judge all these films really quite low. And the next day uh, I do a scoring system. And the next day I saw that I had judged all those films quite high and I was like I went back and in that same mood and watched the films from the night before and I was like oh my god I scored them heaps higher so I I very much like to watch at least three times and the films that I shortlist I'll watch again like another one two three times to really make sure that I get every mood that Mm -hmm. is possible judging them all but every year there's at least one or two that you know will probably win Right. And we pass it. We have, I think this year, I don't, I haven't even counted maybe 16 judges, 18 judges on our panel. So we send all the films off to the judges once we pre select the finalists with a scoring system that we have, yes. and they pull it all out and we, you know, aggr- we add up all the scores. Pretty, you know, standard judging process. Every single year, you pretty much can guess who you think the judges unanimously will, will pick. And, and there's always a few that, you know, they fight over or this year, for the very, very first time, I have no idea who's going to win. I cannot tell you. The The films are all really, really great on a very even really great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no film that stands out. So that's that's just tells you the quality that we're getting is getting better and better and better that I have. We've selected 14 for our gala finals this year and um, they're all amazing. Um, but I think what I'm really most excited about is our two Australian feature films. Uh, the, a, the fact, so this is the third year for feature films. And we had 11 entered last year. We had 11 the year before. So 22 this year, it is, it's actually 18. So it was just under 20. I counted them last night. It was 18 feature films entered. Right. And um the standard is incredible. I just, you know, I always think anyone who makes a film, like I just could on you. It is so hard to make a film. And then to make a feature film, like, mm. and some of our filmmakers are first time filmmakers and they make a feature film, like, whoa, you know, I have so many ideas for feature films and ones I've started that I haven't made. So I, I am in awe of everyone who enters my festival. Um, but particularly this year, these two Aussie feature films, I cannot wait to share them with our audiences. Um, and we're hoping for the first year um, to do one of them, one's Sydney, one's Melbourne, and we're hoping to do a screening down in Melbourne. Uh, we get a lot of Melbourne filmmakers into SF3, and so we're hoping to get down there and and be able to screen down there for the very first time as well. But these films, you should all come and see, you know, all the films, but these feature films will make anyone who sees them pick up their phone and start shooting, let me tell you. I can hear you. You're literally chomping at the bit to try to, to not to <laughs> oh, hold back so on those two. What so I wanted great. to, because independent storytelling, it's always been a great mirror for examining and opening discussions about social and political landscapes. Have you seen an artistic shift in the storytelling from creatives heavily featuring the impact of this COVID pandemic mm-hmm. in the submissions chosen for screening? Yes, definitely. Um, every single year, Ali and I comment on what's happening in the world because you get a lot of films on particular topics or particular um, themes. Like mm. there was one year, it was the year before coronavirus, so this will be our three seasons ago. Yes. Nearly every film we got was so dark. It was like insanely dark. So many about suicide and right. um, just depression and it was like, wow, you know, what's happening in the world because especially I think for smartphone filmmaking because it's so um, accessible that we have such a broad range of people. Everyone can make a film on their phone. So it's not just professional filmmakers or student filmmakers who have spent a long time writing these scripts. You know, it really is storytellers making films. Mm. Definitely last year and this year there is a lot of films about coronavirus. Of course there is. Um, Art has to reflect life. There's a lot of films this year. We we get 
a lot of hotel quarantine films. Right. And we had a lot of those last year. So unfortunately, the thing is, you know, coronavirus is now in its second year. So so many of the films and film ideas we kind of saw last year or screened last year, you know, so you're looking for kind of a new shift and new new content. But people are still talking about the coronavirus, but I think this year is a shift from last year when they were talking about the coronaviruses. There's a bit more hope, I think, this year. Even within Australia, being in lockdown now for many months, there's still a hope. Uh, there is still a hope that is that is shining through for sure in, in the films. I think people are starting. Last year, there was so many about coronavirus. This year, there was still a lot, but people are starting to tell stories again. Last year, everyone got a bit lost in it. Look, and is there any other news um, or announcements relating to the SF3 season for 21 that you'd like to share? Yes, I have two, actually. One is we, for the third year, have been asked by the Lithgow City Council to put on their Lithgow Halloween smartphone film competition. So Ali and I started that for them three years ago, and we run that. So we are currently open for entries. It's free. Um, it's a, You have to make a 10-minute horror or, you know, Halloween-themed film on your smartphone um, and you can find that on Film Freeway. So that's really cool. There's $2,000 in cash up for grabs from Lithgow City Council there. So enter, enter, make a film. I just taught a um, two masterclass series for Lithgow um, Council online. And we had all these, uh, a lot of teens coming in. I had one girl who was 12. I think she was 11 or 12. Wow. Never made a film before. Um, so I taught one class. A week later, we met last night and she had brought in a film. She'd shot it edited it at like this amazing soundtrack within seven days her film I said to her your film is going to screen at festivals all over the world you know so if this little girl has never made a film before and did one class with me you know I am a great teacher no (laughs) Uh, but she did one class with me and then came back to my second class with one of the best little horror films I've ever seen you can all you can all do it Um, and then the second bit of news is yeah just keep your eye out we do lots of classes and masterclasses throughout the year, Um, some free, some paid. This one last night for Lithgow was free. So we post all of those on our socials. We're really, you know, big on the socials, love sharing all the stuff about shooting on phones, tips and tricks. We're always open for people to email us and ask us questions. It really is a community. And then we will be announcing all our finalists November 1, and then we'll be putting our tickets on sale for all our events in February next year Uh, and we'd love everyone to come out and celebrate independent film either live in person with us here in Sydney or we will be online as well with our virtual festival. You know I love the community spirit because that's and that's what we're all about here as well in this podcast. You know personally for me yourself and Ali were pioneers of this type of festival in Australia so I'm just very privileged to be able to have a discussion with yourself you know one half of that team and just the, the way you both champion um, storytelling at a grassroots level, to quote what you've mentioned previously. And look, I was hoping to end this interview, if you can indulge me. Please. When you were in your New York Film Academy days, did you ever hear the name James Lipton inside the actor's studio? Oh, yeah. Or not? Okay, so I'm a massive fan and I loved his style. I'd like to end our interview and ask you the 10 questions that he would pose at the end of every interview he hosted. Right, I'm excited. Okay, so he'd give credit... <laughs> for the list to French talk show host Bernard Pivot, um, and as well as noting its origins are from French novelist Marcel Proust. So the questions are meant to reveal greater insight into a person's thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Um, So there's no right or wrong answer. So if you're ready, we'll get started. I'm ready. Okay. So number one, what is your favorite word? (laughs) My favorite word? Um, Not um. Um. Love. What is your least favorite word? Hate. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Mm. Other people's talent. What turns you off? Unchecked egos. What is your favorite curse word? (sighs) Ooh, I have two. Can I say them? Yes, you can. Fuck, love it. And cunt. It's a wonderful, wonderful word. I actually performed in the vagina monologues yes. many years ago with me. And I was given the cunt monologue. 
And I don't know if anyone knows it, but I had to say cunt about and 30 times in this monologue, it's all about how women should reclaim the word. Uh, and it, I found it quite powerful. And I'd never really said the word much before then. And and um, I, my parents hate swearing and they think that fart is a swear word. And um, <laughs> they came along to see me and I was so shocked. And at the end of this monologue, um, I had to get the audience to um, put their hand up in the air and I had to finished by getting the whole audience to chant cunt 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 so every night I had to get the audience and I you know I did it and I was so worried what my parents were going to think and my dad surprised me and he was like I really loved that Angela and I was like wow so uh, that word I think it's a wonderful word it's the word in the English language which holds probably one of the most amount of powers absolutely what sound or noise do you love I have a few. I love kookaburras laughing. I've always loved church bells and I love my dad's laughter. What sound or noise do you hate? Hmm. Hmm. It's a good one. I hate kind of verbal fighting, but like cruelty, verbal cruelty. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I have always thought I'd love to be a detective. I'd like to, you know, get in on all the details and and crack cases. Um, I would also, I think I would would have made a great surgeon. My parents would have been very happy if I had done that. I I think being a surgeon and I'd love to be a Jillaroo. That would be probably my dream. I'm really afraid of animals though, but I have a dream of being a Jillaroo. So I don't know what a psychoanalyst would say about that. What profession would you not like to do? I would not want to be a school teacher, um, only because my mum and my sister are. I think school teachers are amazing and totally one of the best jobs on the whole planet. Um, but it would not be for me, and I would not have the patience to deal with children in 2020 and teach them all year, like my mum and my sister, I take my hats off to them and all other teachers. And the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, Here's your glass of red wine, Angela. Thank you very much, Angela. I hope that wasn't, you know, too uncomfortable. I'm so glad you just went with it. Thank you so much. Great question. Can you just clarify, um, because... I'm sure I'm not the only one. Can you clarify? I didn't want to interrupt while we were doing the questions. Um, the Jillaroo. I've never heard that term before. Yeah. Jillaroo is like a cowgirl. It's oh. the Australian term for cowgirl. Jackaroo and Jillaroo. Okay. So that's my ignorance. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, no worries. It's a dream. I, I think I should just be an actor in McLeod's Daughters. I think <laughs> like that's really what I should do. <laughs> uh, look, I've really appreciated and enjoyed the stories you've shared and your absolute candidness with myself and the listeners. Again, I hope you haven't found this experience too unbearable. Um, <laughs> just. It was just bearable. Okay, just. Look, I wish you and Ali continued success for SF3. All the best for your personal creative endeavors. And to everyone else tuning in from Oz, NZ and beyond, stay safe, be kind to each other. And until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film. Subscribe to hear all future episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. For more info, please visit Diary of a Crowdfunded Film on Facebook.